few years ago, my family and I were returning home uh, in the car from vacation, and we were somewhere between like Columbus and our home in Lorain County, some of those two-lane roads. You know, there's not like a great way to get from there back up here. I have no solution whatsoever, but I feel qualified to complain about it. And so we're driving, and uh, I see this sign that says, road construction ahead, no through traffic. And I think to myself, eh, I'm sure I can still get through. That doesn't apply to me. So we keep driving. A few miles down the road, I notice a pretty steady stream of cars making U-turns, turning around and going back the opposite direction. I was undeterred. I thought, you know, they probably don't know what they're doing. I bet I know better. So we kept going. I keep saying we like this was Melissa's fault at all. She had no control over the steering wheel. We keep going. Wouldn't you know it, shock of all shocks, there was a roadblock at the end. I couldn't go any further. I had to turn around. Couldn't believe I was going the wrong way the whole time. I hope you appreciate my vulnerability with you here this morning. If we can go to the, to the next slide, I'm gonna need your help. Um, it can be very difficult to admit that you were going the wrong way and turn around. Now, it could be a, there could be a number of reasons for why this is difficult for us to actually admit that we're wrong and to turn around, you know. Um, sometimes, more often, we kind of just double down, right? Double down on the error. But it might be our own pride, right? It might be that we, we just think, you know, stubbornly, I know better than everybody else. It might be that we just, we just this happens to me, and we just get like so anchored to our assumptions and our preconceived notions, we just can't, we will not let go of them. We will not change our mind even when new information comes about. All kinds of different reasons why it's difficult for us to admit that we're wrong and turn around. Now, sometimes in the case of driving, I mean, the stakes are pretty low, right? We got home 30, 45 minutes later than we would have. Not that big of a deal in the moment. It kind of seemed like it, but, um, but other times, there, when it's a question of are we going the, the right way or the wrong way, the stakes can be very high. There can even be eternal ramifications. And in our gospel reading today, we have one such very high stakes uh, directional difficulty story. And that involves Israel's religious leaders, the chief priests, and the elders of the people. They are going the wrong way. Now, do they realize this? No. Were there signs there for them to realize this? Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, there were. There's a way of righteousness, you might say, and there's another way. Oh, the way of, I will call it the way of wrongness for the moment. Way of righteousness, way of wrongness. And uh, the religious leaders were very confident they were on the right way. And they thought all these other people, you know, they knew better than them. So they pretty confidently go up and engage Jesus in conversation. Kudos to Jesus' enemies for going over in trying to trap him in verbal sparrings and yet the perseverance that they show. Man, if they could have just channeled that in a different direction, right? Um, but they, they go up to Jesus and they think the conversation is going to go one way and it goes a totally different way. It happens pretty often uh, when you try to trap Jesus. 
And so we reach the point of the sermon where we talk about traps and tables and trust. Because they, with their question about, you know, hey, Jesus, where do you get the authority to do these things? With that question, they think that they've got him. They've got him in the corner. Checkmate, you know. And, uh, but they don't know what's about to happen. Because, now, the, the reason, we have to zoom out a little bit. Uh, the reason that they're asking these things, you know, who gave you the authority to do these things? What are, what are the, these things that they're talking about? Well, in Matthew chapter 21, where we're at, this is the beginning of Holy Week, okay? This is probably like Tuesday of Holy Week. It seems like all of Jesus' enemies are they're taking a number, they're getting in line to try to trap him. And so, so what, what are these things that have been happening? Well, the first thing, Palm Sunday, right? Jesus is riding into the holy city of Jerusalem like a king. He's on a donkey, and he's being welcomed like a king. He's being praised like a king, and the enemies didn't much like that. Who, what, who does this guy think he is? Coming in like a king. <laughs> that was one thing. Then he goes into the temple and starts flipping over tables, doesn't he? He's turning tables in the temple. So Jesus, he has a historical prowess for turning tables. Now he turns the tables in this conversation with them and actually traps them. We'll get to that here in a minute. But really, he's trying to teach them about trust. So Jesus will teach us today that when it, when it comes to which direction, which way you should be going in life, it really matters who you're trusting, who you're listening to. Is it yourself or is it someone else? And if you're listening to the right person, if you um, acknowledge the authority of the right person to tell you where to go, then you'll, you'll be on the path, the way of righteousness, the way that leads to life. If not, you're not going anywhere positive. So Jesus teaches us that lesson. And so here um, in this story, so they've lobbed out their question, their trapping question, and then Jesus says, let me answer your question with a question. So Jesus uh, says, you know, I'll answer yours if you answer mine. So he says, the baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And he really, he's really got them now. As it explained in the gospel reading, you know, they're, they're thinking, well, okay, if we say that the baptism from John the Baptist came from heaven, he's gonna, he's gonna have us because he's gonna say, well, why didn't you believe him? Because they didn't believe John the Baptist. And then they say, what if we say, if we say, well, we really believe that it was from man, that he had no authority from God whatsoever. Well, the crowd is listening and there's a bunch of John the Baptist groupies out there. They love the guy. They're gonna tar and feather us. So they, they come up with the brilliant response, we don't know. And then Jesus, this, here, this is the way I read this. Jesus, with full godly snark, says, well, I'm not going to answer your question either. That is not the end of the interaction, though. Jesus goes on, and he launches into a story, the parable of the two children. And uh, this is very simple. So dad comes up to the first child and says, hey, kid, go work in the vineyard. Kid says, No. I'm not going to. But then, at some point later, he decides to go, and he goes and does what his father asked. But first he says no right to his face. Dad goes to the second child and says the same thing, go work in the vineyard. The child's very respectful to dad and says, yes, I go, sir. And then he doesn't actually go, okay? So, the, so, so Jesus then asks, 
well, which of these children did the will of their father? And apparently, the religious leaders did not catch on yet that they were, st they were still in the midst of being trapped, okay? So they just answer the question. I guess they probably are thinking to themselves, well, we're, we're better than both these kids, right? We haven't said no to God or anything. Uh, so they say, well, the first one, the first one did it because he actually ended up you know, doing the will of the Father, even though he said no first. And then, um, so for us to, to ponder here is, which child corresponds to the religious leaders? What do you think? Who wants to vote for the child number one? Put your hand up if you think child number one is the religious leaders. Who wants to vote for uh, child number two? Is that the religious leaders? Yeah. Well, the answer is child number three. Uh, didn't see that one coming, did you? Yeah. Uh, child number three, the no-no child. He is not uh, pictured in the story, but he is, that is, the religious leaders to a T. Anybody have a no-no child? No, never mind. We won't, we won't get into that. Yeah, I had a bunch of stories that were left on the cutting room floor about my own children in this. Uh, <clears throat> but they are, the, the religious leaders are the ones who, when John the Baptist came, they said No. And then even Jesus condemns them for this. He says, even when you saw all type of lost people out there hearing the word from John and repenting and following God, you still said no. And, that, and we could even include, even with hearing from Jesus himself, they're still saying no. Maybe they're no, no, no. But they, they didn't really see that coming, that they would actually be worse than either of these children. None of these two children are perfect, right? They're actually the worst of the bunch. And so they've been going the wrong way. They've been stubbornly going the wrong way. They've been ignoring clear signs, and they are far from the way of righteousness. The way of righteousness. Jesus uses that phrase here at the end of this story. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. This sounds like the way we should be going, right? The way of righteousness. We better define what this is. Better get the directions for how to go that way. But we also need to learn, so we need to know, you know, what is the way of righteousness and also what prevents people from following it in the first place. So we hear Jesus use this phrase, John came to you in the way of righteousness, and really we hear that and we ought to be thinking, huh, have I heard something else like that before? Is there another episode where John the Baptist and Jesus are together and talking about righteousness? You do a quick Google search. Oh, it turns out Matthew chapter 3, the baptism of Jesus. And, uh, you know, John the Baptist is doing his thing, baptizing people. He sees Jesus his own relative, right? He sees the, the, one that, the one that John has come to prepare the way for. He sees Jesus getting in line for baptism. And he says, well, that's not right. So he says, I think we've got this uh, backwards. Jesus, you want to trade spots? You can baptize me. Jesus says, uh, he says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus says, no, this is this is the right way. And so Jesus is now, this is kind of the, the formal beginning of his ministry, of his mission to save the world. This is Jesus finally, at long last, carrying out God's plan of salvation that he's had from the beginning. So Jesus is now, he's going to do all things 
right for our benefit, for the people of Israel's benefit, because everybody who came before Jesus, everybody who comes after Jesus, including us, uh, we can't do everything the right way. We can't work out our own righteousness. So Jesus is, Jesus is saying, I'm going to do it for everyone. And then, by faith, you're going to receive all my righteousness. So that's what Jesus is doing, and he's kicking it off. And we might even say, after he comes out of the water, he, is, he sees the cross up ahead. And he's like, he's bearing, he's bearing the sins of the world already, and he is like, I'm, I'm getting to that cross. I'm going to fulfill all righteousness. And God the Father booms out from the heavens, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So you're thinking, oh, maybe that kind of answers the question of where does this guy get his authority from? God the Father, stamp of approval. Let me declare this to the world. This is my Son. Even on the Mount of Transfiguration, a while later, he says basically the same thing, but he adds, listen to him. Listen to him. This one has the authority of God. This is Jesus. He is working out all righteousness for you. So Jesus, he's the, he's the, the perfect son. He's like the yes, yes son, completely obedient to his father's will and making everyone else children of God by the righteousness that he brings to us. So for God... The way of righteousness is about how he saves us, how he works this out for you and for me. Uh, and for you and for me, it, the way of righteousness is really quite simple, almost suspiciously simple. It is just believing in the Son. Sometimes that involves turning around, though. Changing your mind, turning around, away from sin and toward the Son, and putting your trust in him. I have to say that when I approach a text like this sometimes, I have a great temptation to just make a sermon that's pretty much just like yelling about the bad guys. And then I would invite you all like up on the stage with me and we can stand next to Jesus and just kind of wag our finger at the bad, oh, those religious leaders, look how bad they were and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes it's, you know, it's a real opportunity to be real self-righteous and feel holier than them and everything. And I get kind of jazzed up about that. And then I think about it for a little bit longer and I think, well, shucks, I think there's something I gotta learn from this too. I think the Holy Spirit is inviting me to ponder what causes me to get off the way. And then after I think about that a little bit longer, I think, well, I know these people too, they probably have something to learn about this and we've gotta listen and receive what Jesus is teaching for us and acknowledge that sometimes we stray away and things prevent us from following the way of righteousness. One of the things that might prevent us from doing this is the, the belief, it's called, I call it IKB. It stands for I know better. This is a dearly beloved doctrine that we all found many parts of our lives upon. It's one of my favorites. Whether it's consciously or not, you guys love it too. It's kind of the, the anthem of the whole world, the anthem of society, kind of like the anthem of my heart because we are all uh, naturally inclined to just say, I know better. I know better than people around me. 
I know better, we'll take it all the way, I know better than God, even. That's the problem that the religious leaders had, is that they set themselves up as the authority. I know better than God. I know better than the people that God is sending to me. And we, we see in the Old Testament, we'll have the next slide has a uh, passage from Ezekiel that we read earlier. This was not a new phenomenon, like it did this, this I know better didn't just come about in the New Testament or something. It was back in the Old Testament too. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not just. This is God speaking, you know. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are not just, people? Actually, this phenomenon began even before recorded history. You guys know Satan, before he was the devil, he was an angel. And he knew better than God. He wanted to be God. That's what caused him to fall. Adam and Eve in the garden, they were really tempted by, you know, we know better. We want to be, be our own gods. That's, that's really like the original sin is, I know better than God. I want to be my own God. I want to take that authority for myself. And you and I have inherited that same tendency, that same inclination from Adam and Eve. And it's been running throughout every generation of people up through the present time, and it's going to continue on. I know better. I know better than God. Nobody should be the final authority in my life. I can make my own decisions. I don't need God's guidance. I can make my own truth, right? I don't need God's word. I can do whatever I want to with my own body, right? I I can be the authority on that. I don't need God's antiquated moral instructions anymore. I can decide who I am. I I can decide what my identity is. I don't need God to tell me how he created me or who he says I am. I know better. And when problems arise from any of these things, I'll handle them myself. I don't need help from God. I know better. This is all around us, and it even affects each one of us as well. This is what can get us off track. This and also, the next slide, sometimes stubbornly ignoring clear signs all around us, because at some point, you do, you do realize, right, just like in that story that I shared about my driving, you do realize something is not going right, but it's that stubbornness that's built in. No, I'm going to double down on how I know better and how I'm the authority, even though I see other people maybe actually going to God and receiving his message and turning their lives around, I'm just going to keep hurtling down the wrong path. And maybe I'm not even going to realize it until it's too late. Don't let this happen to you. I think we can read this gospel reading and we can, we can view it as like a cautionary tale for us. And we can, we can look around and see the transformative work of God in people around us and also see it in our own lives and sometimes humbly ask for directions again from the Lord and say, uh, which way? Which way to the way of righteousness? And the beautiful thing is, in our final slide here, the beautiful and comforting news is that the Father is always standing right there. <clears throat> He's standing there along the road, 
And he continually calls people to turn and believe in the Son. He is so patient, and he is so loving, and he is so forgiving. He will graciously just wave you to make the U-turn. There's no one that is so far gone, no one that is so stubborn, that is so hard-hearted, that has rejected God. You know, even the people, we see this, even people who have said no to God's face, right? He still is saying, this way, this way, turn, change your mind, believe in the Son. This is the best news for the whole world, right? It's, it's the best news for you and me too, though, because we need that directional guidance again and again and again, and the Father gives it to us. He says, there, there's Jesus, he's the way. He's the way of righteousness. Turn from your sin, turn again, turn again. Believe in Jesus. Follow him, and you'll be on the way to life. Life in Jesus. In his name. Amen. Lord God, we thank you for these words here today, how they challenge us, how they help us to kind of take inventory of our hearts and the ways that we're going. We pray that you will again and again be gracious and forgiving and patient with us and give us directions, the way to turn from sin and turn back to Jesus and have life in his name. We pray these things in the name.